Hello, this is Damien, the tall, friendly atheist dad. I hope you're having a great day, and welcome to the Tall, Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Hey there, sorry to interrupt. Just before you get into this episode of the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast, did you know you can now support the podcast on Patreon? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash tfadpod, where your monthly donations will help support what I do in producing enjoyable and thought-provoking material. Without your support, I'm just a guy and a microphone, but with your support, I'm a person who can share thoughtful perspectives on controversial topics. Don't forget to share the podcast on your social media to help spread the word. Thank you. In this episode of the podcast, I want to take you through some logical fallacies, what they are, and how to look out for them. The first one I want to explain is argument from personal incredulity. The argument from personal incredulity takes either of these forms. 1. Because I cannot imagine how F could be true, therefore F must be false, and its converse, because I cannot imagine how X could be false, X therefore must be true. You may have heard the following from creationists. I can't imagine how humans evolved from single-celled organisms. It just doesn't make sense to me. How could you even begin to explain how everything just works? You can't deny the fact that it was all created unless you want to deny God. This is argument from personal incredulity, as well as a straw man. While I'll tackle straw man in another episode, This is an example of AFPI, because the creationist cannot imagine evolution being true, usually because they've been indoctrinated to believe wrong things about evolution and to disregard the technical literature. So because they don't, won't, or can't see what evolution actually says, they just think that all of the scientific literature on the topic is just people talking out of their hat. Therefore, evolution is false. Let's step away from religion for a moment. How would we see this fallacy in a non-theological setting? Example 1. Billy's teacher says to him one day, Billy, you clearly cheated on this assignment to pass. You miraculously got a great result and I never see you study. Example 2. The HR rep says to Jenny, Jenny, you're the only person I know who has the combination for the safe. The keys aren't there anymore, and they're missing, so you must have stolen the keys out of it. Or a lawyer in the courtroom. The defendant is a highly respected member of society. There is no way he could be guilty. These are all 
argument from personal incredulity. Next is God of the Gaps. God of the Gaps is a specific instance of argument from personal incredulity, as well as being an example of false dichotomy, another argument I'll cover in a later episode. God of the Gaps is where theists or supernaturalists point to a supposed gap in the scientific knowledge, or even a legitimate conjecture in the scientific literature, and then posit a deity, usually being Yahweh, as the solution. The scientists don't have an answer for this particular question right down to the nth degree. They're just pretending. Therefore, the only credible explanation left is God. Or, to look at it another way, because I don't believe, or because I cannot imagine that methodological naturalism has the answer I want for X, it means that God is the only explanation for X is true. Argument from personal incredulity. In a famous clip, Bill O'Reilly interviewed the then president of American atheists, David Silverman, and claimed that Christianity isn't a scam because tide goes in, tide goes out, never a miscommunication. You can't explain that. This is an example of argument from personal incredulity in the form of God of the Gaps. Bill's mentality is so deeply religious that he cannot imagine non-theism having an answer for how the cycle of the tides work, then asserts that his guess doesn't have an explanation, therefore Bill's religious beliefs are true. Or another example, intelligent design proponents state that creation by an intelligent being is the only logical explanation for the origin of life, rather than the naturalistic study of abiogenesis, because How did 3.2 billion base pairs of genes come together? It's so complex. If I asked you to shuffle a deck of cards twice in the exact same order, you couldn't do it and you expect me to believe that those 3.2 billion base pairs of DNA just somehow formed without any intelligence behind it? Even Richard Dawkins admits he doesn't know. This is classic God of the Gaps. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know. You're not a scientist, so you don't know. And not even the most famous atheist in the world knows. So therefore... The only way this could have happened is by an intelligent being doing the designing. And the only intelligent being capable of that is Zeus. I mean, sorry, God. The first problem with God of the Gaps is that over time, and as our understanding of the natural world increases, the gap left for theists to squeeze God into keeps getting smaller and smaller. Centuries ago, People thought God was the only logical and only acceptable explanation for the diversity of life on Earth today because they took their biology lessons from Genesis and came up with such ideas as barominology. However, evolution by common descent 
have put baromenology and spontaneous generation to bed. Even Isaac Newton himself engaged in God of the Gaps. While he worked out the effects of gravity that celestial bodies have on each other, but he thought that over time, the accumulative effect of gravitation should slow the whole solar system right down. But the solar system still works because God was continually rectifying the balance. Later, Pierre-Simon Laplace took Newton's original ideas, discovered the errors, and then refined the model to not need divine intervention, which led him to say his famous quote to Bonaparte when Bonaparte asked why Laplace didn't put a creator in his updated model of the solar system. I have no need for the hypothesis. And this is ever more pronounced in our modern day and age. Not once has a replete scientific answer ever been replaced by a supernatural one. Whereas supernatural answers are being replaced with replete scientific answers. The second problem with God of the Gaps is that for the Bible literalist, once we insert God into that gap, it typically kills off either the intellectual pursuit of deeper answers or even the intellectual honesty of the person making the God of the Gaps case. You don't know the answer. The scientists who say they do are lying to our children. God is clearly the answer. Discussion over. Before you accuse me of strawmanning here, I know multiple people in my real life who have said something like this to me. People who are degree qualified in some, some aspect. People who say they love science. And people who say that they believe evolution is a plot by Satan to cause people to get depression and fall away from God. They don't care that people such as the former director of the Human Genome Project, Dr. Francis Collins, believes evolution is true, and he's also a Christian, or Professor Kenneth Miller, or Dr. Theodosius Dobzhansky, all of whom are eminently qualified and publicly proclaim their belief in God. The usual retort? Oh, but that's their opinion. Well, yes, it is their opinion, their highly qualified opinion from years of research and studying the material at hand. At its best, God of the Gaps is an intellectual red herring. At its worst, God of the Gaps creates amateur apologists who won't entertain any rational answer that counters their point. For them, God has filled in the gap, and that is enough. The third problem is that once you allow supernatural causation to become a rational explanation, it hinders progress. For example, centuries ago, because people in pre-industrial times believed in supernatural causation for natural phenomena, they would sacrifice people and perform rituals in order to ensure that their god woke up, heard their plea, 
and bestowed good fortune upon them. Or they believed that epilepsy was demonic. Or miscarriages were demonic. Or cholera was demonic. Because we didn't know what those things were, we attributed supernatural causation to them. But now we know how agriculture and seasons work. We now feed billions of people all over the world by implementing that science. Now we know how neurology works. Epilepsy is no longer demonic and is thoroughly treatable. We have an understanding of what factors contribute to miscarriages, and none of them are religious in nature. Cholera being demonic was put to bed by a man named John Snow, who actually studied an outbreak of cholera in London in the 1800s to understand what was really happening. Be aware of God of the Gaps, but also be aware that people who use a God of the Gaps will vehemently reject the accusation that they're using God of the Gaps. They all counter with, you're relying on naturalism of the Gaps, which is a two quo quo. And both of those are arguments I'll cover in later episodes. Special pleading. Special pleading is where an argument or statement that supports one conclusion is then rejected because the person doesn't like the conclusion that those same arguments come to, especially without a relevant or specific justification as to why the argument doesn't apply to their conclusion. For example, premise one, racism is when we treat people differently based on their race. Premise two, Princeton University weighs entry scores differently based on the race of the person applying. Conclusion, Princeton University isn't being racist because they're discriminating in favour of blacks and Hispanics. Well, hold on. This is still racism, just in another form. Premise 1. Everyone should contribute to reverse the environmental damage their lifestyle causes. Premise 2. Big-name preachers fly in private jets to take holidays. Conclusion. Why should my favourite preacher be penalised for enjoying what God has given them? Climate change is an issue that affects everyone. Or in politics. Premise 1. Anyone who disrespects the office of the president is un-American. Premise 2. President Biden just signed an executive order declaring masks must be worn on planes and in federal buildings. Conclusion. I'm going to disobey the mask order because Joe Biden is not my president. So what about in theology? Well, in theology and in apologetics, we typically come across the following as examples of special pleading. Everything that exists has a cause. Well, hold on. So if God exists, what caused God? The response, God is uncaused. Or how about this one? Everything that exists, exists in time and space. 
Well, if everything exists in time and space, why can't we find God? Oh, that's because God exists outside of time and space. He's the only thing to exist that exists outside of time and space. Or even these. Murder is when you make a choice to deliberately kill someone. God deliberately killed people. But as the creator of life, God is allowed to take life away. Or this one. Murder is when you make a choice to deliberately kill people. God is a murderer because God deliberately killed people. But God isn't a murderer because all life is alone from God. So all God is doing is taking back what's his. Or this one. Murder is when you make a choice to deliberately kill someone. God is a murderer because he deliberately killed people. But murder is when people kill each other, not when God kills someone. This is all special pleading. When an argument you would normally accept leads you to an uncomfortable conclusion when applied to a position you hold, and so you invent an escape hatch that ad hoc redefines terms, or adds concepts found only in mythology or theology, that is special pleading. And the last one I'll go through is begging the question, or the fallacy of presumption. Begging the question is where one is required to accept the premise of an argument to be true for the rest of the argument to be true, instead of the premise supporting the conclusion on its own merits. For example, a prosecutor is grilling the defendant on the witness stand and leads with the question, A person who kills their wife feels sad. The accused is sad. Therefore, the defendant is guilty of killing his wife. The prosecutor is presuming that the man indeed killed his wife, as well as that the accused is sad, instead of asking him if he killed his wife, how he feels about his wife's death, and how he explains any incriminating evidence. Or how about this one? The, the police officer says to you, I'm pulling you over for going 25k over the speed limit. And then you ask, well, officer, how did you know that? And the officer replies, I just know your car was going faster than mine. Well, hold on. Just because one car is going faster than another doesn't mean the first car is breaking the law. And how was he able to come up with an exact number of how fast you were going over unless he presumes you're breaking the speed limit? So when it comes to counter-apologetics, Begging the question typically comes in these three common arguments. One, God exists because the Bible says so and the Bible is the word of God. But this presumes that God exists, that the Bible is truthful in the statements it makes about God, as well as presuming that the Bible is indeed the word of God. Or number two, God is the only real God because all the other gods are false. This presumes 
that there's actually a method of determining if a God is real or not, as well as presuming that the Bible is true when it says God is the only real God, which, newsflash, it doesn't. The Bible lists at least a dozen gods of the surrounding nations. And number three, Ken Ham and his famous, You weren't there, but I have the word of someone who was, and his word says he never lies. Ken Ham is presuming that, firstly, God exists, and two, that God was there at the beginning of the universe, because he presumes a literal reading of the Bible is correct. All of these rely on assuming the correctness of the premises to back up the conclusions trying to be made. So, with all of these logical fallacies, please be aware when you see them. If it's your opponent who is using them, be kind when you reproach them. And if it's you who use them, then rework your arguments and do better. Thank you for listening to the Tall Friendly Atheist Dad podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you next time.